Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is David Bruner. I have the honor of being co-pastor here at Knox Presbyterian Church. This is our third Sunday. So uh, we pretty much know how everything works and, uh, you know, we're calling the shots now. Um, I want to say thank you once again to all those of you who helped welcome us so warmly here to Knox. It's been a real joy just to see how many of you reached out to say hi, to introduce yourselves, lent a hand uh, with something, prayed for us, sent a note or a card. We really appreciate it. Um, I told the previous service that if you dropped off cookies at our house, my kids would also like to thank you very much. Um, They are currently bouncing off the walls as we speak. So... As many of you know, we are in the middle of a sermon series called Better Together. Over the next few months, we're going to be taking a look at the ups and downs of Christian community. And this week, we're looking at a passage from Mark 10, um, a passage that um, might not seem to have much to do with Christian community on the surface, but I think when we look carefully at it, it has a lot to teach us. Uh, Before we read that scripture, I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, we pray you would open our hearts. to the reading and the hearing and the living of your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. So this reading is from Mark 10, uh, beginning at the 32nd verse. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, and those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, let, us, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen. So what does this passage mean for us? What does it have to teach us about the Christian life? I want to make three points this morning. They're very simple. Number one, we are invited to follow Jesus, not just admire him. Number two, following Jesus is hard, and his disciples make mistakes Number three, through our mistakes, we experience God's grace. I'm going to talk about each of those three points in turn. We'll start with number one. 
we are invited to follow Jesus, not just admire him. So in chapter 10 of Mark's gospel, Jesus and his disciples are on the way to Jerusalem where he knows he will ultimately uh, be crucified and die. And on the way, he begins to explain to his disciples what will happen to him and to tell them about his divinely given mission to go to the cross. This is not the first time this happens in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is pretty repetitive on this point, actually. He tells the disciples pretty much the same thing in Mark chapter 8 and in Mark chapter 9. If the disciples had been paying attention, they would have said, yeah, 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 Jesus, we know. You mentioned this before. But for all of his repetition, the disciples clearly don't get it. What they're concerned about is figuring out who's going to be Jesus' right-hand man. Jesus, who's your number one? Who's secretary of state in your kingdom, Jesus? Who gets the key to the executive bathroom in the kingdom of God? That's what they want to know. And so trying to get through to these incorrigible disciples, Jesus says these amazing words at the end of this passage. In my kingdom, Jesus says, things are upside down. In the ordinary world, the great ones hoard status and power and authority and lord it over others. But in my kingdom, the great ones are the servants of everyone else. And the bigger and better a servant you are, the greater you are in my kingdom. And he says, my journey to the cross even my suffering and death are the natural culmination and extension of my life. If you want to follow me, you need to imitate me in my life of self-sacrifice. They're sobering words. They're not only addressed to those disciples there and then. They're addressed to you and me. He doesn't just invite those disciples to pursue greatness through service. He invites us too. He doesn't just invite those disciples to take up their cross. He invites us too. Every day and in every way, Jesus is inviting us, the church, to imitate him. To follow in the footsteps of the crucified Messiah. And one of the questions... Mark asks us, a question that comes up again and again in this gospel is, will we dare to say yes? Will we say yes to his call to follow him, to imitate him? Or will we try to wriggle off the hook, to meet him only halfway, to compromise, to find some way to get Jesus without also getting that pesky cross. 200 years ago, there was a Danish Christian named Soren Kierkegaard. Some of you may have dim memories of learning about him in high school philosophy class. He lived in a culture in Denmark that was much more heavily Christian than our own, at least in certain ways. The established religion of Denmark was Christianity. Almost everyone in that society professed belief in Jesus, 
And the country looked to Christianity to provide its values and morals. The problem was that there was a lot of Christianity, but not a lot of Christ-like behavior. People paid lip service to Jesus and then just kept on pursuing their selfish, middle-class lives without ever really grappling with his radical call to follow him. Kierkegaard famously diagnosed this problem by saying that there was a difference between admiring Christ and following Christ. It's easy to admire Christ, he said, to respect him, to talk about how special he is, to look up to him, perhaps even to claim to worship him. It's hard to follow him, to act like him, to embrace his way of life, to follow him on the way of downward mobility into a life of service, humility, and the cross. This week at our staff meeting, Pastor Tassie talked about, was reflecting on this passage, and she talked about the word follow has become something different in the age of social media, where we so easily click on a person to follow them, and it's done, right? One motion of my finger, and I followed someone. Following Jesus demands a lot more of us than that. We live in a very different world than Kierkegaard did. But the church today still struggles with admiring Christ instead of following him. Whether it's the prosperity gospel on one hand or white Christian nationalism on the other, we are very inventive at creating a version of Jesus that doesn't ask us to follow him to carry the cross. And the Gospel of Mark is particularly unique in that it lays this challenge before us in a particularly clear way. We're called to follow Jesus together, not just admire him. That leads me to my second point. Following Jesus is hard, (laughs) and the disciples make mistakes. In the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are constantly screwing up in one way or another. Of all the four Gospels, the the disciples in Mark are probably the most mistake-ridden. This is ironic. Often people come to the Bible looking for good, wholesome examples of how to live a Christ-like life. Don't look in the Gospel of Mark. Jeez Louise. The Gospel of Mark is largely a book about people trying and failing to follow Jesus. And it's easy for us to look down on the disciples in Mark. Those dummies, why couldn't they see what was right in front of their faces? But the genius of Mark is that it isn't just a story about those disciples there and then. It's a story about me and you, all of us seeking to follow Jesus today. Show of hands, how many of you have seen The Office? Great television show. It came out a million years ago. Uh, It's probably even more popular today than it was when it first came out. Um, As many of you know, it's a scripted television show, but it's filmed in a documentary style, as though its cameras were recording real-life events. And something it popularized that it does frequently is called breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall, something awkward or embarrassing or hilarious will happen, and one of the characters, most often Jim, played by John Krasinski, will look right at the camera 
with this look of embarrassment, awkwardness, amusement, right? <laughs> that look, that look made him famous, by the way. Um, and sometimes I'll be texting with a friend and they'll just send me this picture, right? When something awkward has happened in their life and I know immediately what's going on, right? The effect of this look is to make us part of the action. It moves us from observers of the show to participants in the show. It makes you feel like you know Jim, you're Jim's friend, and you too are sharing this moment of saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that happened. Oh, good grief, right? We move from spectators to participants. So the author of the Gospel of Mark never saw The Office, as far as I know. But he's doing something similar. He constructs his gospel in such a way that it breaks the fourth wall. When Jesus tells his disciples, for the umpteenth time, my divinely given mission is to suffer and die, and you need to imitate me. And the disciples immediately respond by saying, Jesus, that's great. Can we have first class status in the kingdom of heaven? You have to picture him locking eyes with the camera and gently rolling his eyes and sighing, right? It's really quite funny once you get the hang of it. But it's more than just funny. We are invited to identify with the disciples. We are invited to identify with the disciples, the people in this story who want to follow Jesus, who try to follow Jesus, but who struggle, who sometimes misunderstand him, who screw up, who make mistakes. Their story is our story. Because the reality is this, there's no such thing as a successful follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a successful follower of Jesus, if by that we mean a person that doesn't make mistakes, a person that doesn't screw up. There's this deep irony in the Christian life that on one hand, we are called to follow Jesus, to do more than just admire him, to make a determined effort to imitate his way of life. And yet, as soon as we try, we discover just how flawed and fallible we really are. Don't follow Jesus if you don't have a sense of humor <laughs> and you can't laugh at your own mistakes. I've been a Christian all my life. I've been in vocational ministry for over 10 years now. I still find it incredibly difficult to follow Jesus, and I goof up every single day. I was trying to think about an example of me screwing up in my Christian walk for today, and I was like, hmm, which one should I choose from? There are so many examples. I thought about consulting my wife, but I didn't want to be here all day. <laughs> when Becca and I were first married 15 years ago, we lived in St. Paul, Minnesota. Teeny tiny apartment, a little bit bigger than a postage stamp. And one morning I was taking some quiet time to pray and talk to the Lord. And um, I was complaining. I was complaining to God about a bunch of stuff that was going wrong in my life. About this thing that was hard and that thing that was frustrating and this other thing that was difficult. And I heard a voice. Um, a voice I believe was God's voice to me in that moment. And it, it just said, you know, you don't say thank you very much. You don't say thank you very much. It was very gentle. It was very kind. It was also very convicting. 
And immediately I said to myself, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry about that, God. I had been focusing so much on the negatives that I'd missed all the positives that I could give thanks to God for. Good health, a career I was excited about, a happy marriage. I just glossed right over all those things. And I'd love to tell you that that was the last time I dealt with that particular problem. Ha ha! No. <laughs> my bouts of ingratitude are a little bit like the common cold of my spiritual life. I deal with it once or twice a year, and the Lord has to gently remind me, hey, remember to give thanks in this situation. And I say, oh yeah, sorry. My point is this. No one follows Jesus perfectly. Not your pastors, not anyone. Everybody makes mistakes. And as we seek to follow Jesus together, we can be honest about that. Honest about our struggles. We can let go of the pretense that we have it all together. And we can extend to one another the same grace and mercy and forgiveness that God has extended to us in Jesus. That leads me to my third point. Through our mistakes, we experience God's grace. Through our mistakes, we experience God's grace. So the Gospel of Mark is a story of these disciples trying and failing to follow Jesus. And you and I are invited to see ourselves in their story, to see our own mistakes and foibles reflected in them. I want you to think for a second about how the Gospel of Mark ends. Jesus' disciples betray him. They abandon him. He's nailed to a cross to die. And then he rises from the dead. And how does he treat his disciples then? Does he approach the disciples and berate them? <laughs> Give them the tongue lashing they so richly deserve? No. Does he fire them? <laughs> does he say, look, this is clearly not working out. You are no longer my disciple. I'm going to work with someone else. No. He extends to them grace and mercy and forgiveness. He gives them a fresh start. One of the most poignant parts of Mark's entire gospel is just this little verse that you'd almost skate right over in Mark chapter 16. The women at the tomb are told to go tell the disciples and Peter that he has risen from the dead. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Now, why does Jesus single out Peter? It's because Peter screwed up the worst. Peter denied Christ three times. Peter really messed up bad. At the end of this story, we're left with the love of Jesus reaching out again and making a special invitation to the one who let him down the most. Scholars tell us that they think the Gospel of Mark was written to Christian communities that were undergoing persecution in the ancient world, probably by the Roman government. It's hard for us in 21st century America to imagine too much what that was like, especially if we're, we've grown up here. These were people for whom Jesus' words about taking up the cross and following him were not a metaphor. These were people for whom the decision to follow Jesus meant very real physical danger. 
At least some of Mark's audience were under enormous legal, social, political pressure to renounce Jesus. And it stands to reason that more than a few of them did that. And then after a couple months, maybe when the threat had died down, they slunk back into the Christian community (laughs) and said, oh boy, what do I do now? To this community, Mark writes. He writes this wonderful gospel that emphasizes the importance of following Jesus, the importance of carrying the cross. And he also emphasizes God's mercy and love and forgiveness. Even for those who have renounced their faith. His gospel tells us If you have struggled with the call to follow Jesus, you're not alone. If you've tried to follow Jesus and you've messed up, you're not alone. If you wish you could follow him more closely, but there are problems and difficulties, you're not alone. And if you've screwed up in a big way, you're not alone. There's something even more powerful and important and transformative than our flaws and foibles and mistakes And that's God's redemptive love. Do not despair. Do not give up. Just pick yourself up and try again. And I think that's a message that's really important for us in the Christian community today. Some of you maybe want to become Christians, but you feel like you don't have it all together. The Gospel of Mark reminds us, hey, nobody has it all together. Some of you are thinking, okay, I've been a Christian for a while. Why am I still so bad at it? Gospel of Mark says, it's okay. It's part of the process. I love the words found in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, where he talks about having the treasure of our faith in clay jars in fragile, breakable pots, so that we can know the extraordinary power of God at work in us comes from him and not us. If the gospel of Mark is correct, following Jesus is not a linear process. It's not like a graph where the line goes up and to the right. Following Jesus is a little bit like an old LP record. Now, if you don't know what an LP record is, you can ask your grandparents. They'll tell you. Um, Following Jesus is a bit like an old LP record with a scratch on it, right? So when you play an LP record with a scratch on it, it, the needle is going to hit that scratch every time it goes around. The same scratch, and yet every time it goes around, it's going to be a little bit closer to the center. Following Jesus, making mistakes, and then experiencing Jesus' grace and power in and through that has the effect of making us less impressed with ourselves and more impressed with him. Less impressed with the jar of clay and more impressed with the priceless treasure inside. I want to close with one more image. In Japan... They have a style of art called kintsugi. Have any of you ever heard of kintsugi? Okay, 
one person who was here the last hour has. <laughs> so kintsugi is this beautiful style of art. It's a style of pottery, where pottery that has been broken is mended. And what they do in Japan is they take um, gold dust and they put it in the glue. And they mend it with it. So the, this pottery that's broken was fit to be thrown only on the trash heap actually becomes more beautiful than it was before. That's what following Jesus is like. That's what following Jesus is like. We are like that shattered pot, mended and made better than before by God's healing and forgiving love. We are like that LP record, scratched, and every time we hit that scratch, getting a little bit closer to the center. We are called to follow Jesus, and when we do, we're going to make mistakes. But mistakes can't stop God's redeeming love and his power. Let's follow him together. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.